do grab a seat. Guys, do thank you for joining us this morning. Welcome if this is your first time with us. Um, and uh, I know a few visitors here just for with those who are being baptized in a few moments. And of course, today is, is exciting, isn't it? I love baptism services. It's a, just a wonderful opportunity. So Christian and Johnny, a little later, are going to be baptized. Um, and we're going to hear something, I guess, of their story, maybe their testimony of what God has been doing in their life. But before then, we're just going to turn to the book of Colossians for the very last time. And it seems some, somewhat appropriate that on a Sunday when we are baptizing two people, that we're completing Paul's letter, which finishes by mentioning individual Christians. And even though we don't know very much about them, they give us this great insight into what really matters in churches. Do you want to pick it up in verse 7? If you've got a Bible, you find Colossians chapter 4, and we're in verse 7. It reads this. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. This is Paul writing, by the way. He is my dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. A fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among our co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be to you. And Paul is arguably the greatest evangelist this world has ever seen, yet it's interesting that he depends on so many others to help in his work. And today, I want to look at just three of Paul's less well-known friends. They supported him in his ministry. They were there in the good times and in the bad times, and each person is different and perhaps characterizes people within every, every church. So as we go through, I want you to allow God to speak. Who are you most like? Which one of these people do you maybe identify with? But also, what does it look like for you to be a good friend? And listen, we all need good friends, don't we? But there's a final thing that I hope that comes across very clearly. And 
as we find out a little bit more about Paul's friends, I want you to remember that what you do is truly significant for God. The first guy I want to highlight is Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Now, we only get a very small glimpse, a fleeting glimpse of this man, but he, he was a good man to have around in a tight corner. He's only actually mentioned three times in the whole of the Bible, but every time he is mentioned, Paul is in serious trouble. And guess what? Aristarchus is there to help him. He was around for the riot in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, verse 29. He was there when Paul set sail as a prisoner for Rome in Acts 27, verse 7. In fact, it's very likely that he enrolled as Paul's slave in order that he would be allowed to make the journey with him. And now, here he is in Rome. He is Paul's fellow prisoner. Whenever Paul was in trouble, Aristarchus was there. Not only is he a good companion, he is a loyal friend who was willing to risk his very life for Paul. This is a man who saw how gifted Paul was as an evangelist, as a preacher, as a writer. So he chose to be with Paul in the good times, in the bad times, in the very ugly times. The truth is, We've got no idea what Aristarchus actually did. The Bible actually never tells us. But what we do know is that he was never in the limelight. He only ever stood in the shadow of Paul. Yet the work that he did was of extraordinary value to Paul. And he will be greatly rewarded by God. Listen, if God has called you to be a supporter or an encourager, don't underestimate the value of that. Listen, your work and your ministry is no less important than the greatest evangelist. You may not get the praise of men, but you will receive the praise and the reward of your Father in heaven. The second person is Mark. Now, perhaps Mark is the most surprising and maybe the unexpected person to be mentioned here. He was a close friend of Peter. In fact, Peter called him his son. Yet he and Paul had a very rocky relationship. Remember on Paul's first missionary journey, Mark abandoned them halfway through, which meant that when Paul set out on his second missionary journey, he made it very clear that he was not going to take this quitter with him again. When Barnabas stood up for Mark, the, the result was a falling out that actually caused Paul to separate from Barnabas as well as from Mark. But of course, that's not the end of the story. Now, we, we, again, we don't really know all of the details of what went on, but what we do know is that Mark was with Paul here in Rome during his last imprisonment, and, and Paul has come to look on him as a useful man to have around. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul writes, get Mark. Bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Mark was the man who had redeemed himself. You will notice here that, that Paul 
instructs the Colossians to accept Mark and actually to welcome him. Perhaps they were suspicious of a man that Paul had once dismissed as useless. However, now Paul wants to make very sure that Mark's past must never be a barrier to future ministry. So he gives him his absolute approval. You know, so often we can, we can make a bad start and make wrong impressions and actually just, just make wrong decisions. You know, I, I started driving the tractor in my dad's farm when I was 13 years old, and I absolutely loved it, but I was an absolute disaster, extremely accident-prone. I think I've told the story a few weeks back about the time that I put a pitchfork through the big back wheel of the tractor, However, I don't think I've mentioned the time I reversed into the wall, knocking it down, or the day I lost control of, the, of a full trailer and ended up in the ditch and actually blocked the back road for several hours. And then, of course, there was a day that when I was 16 that I took my dad's car a little bit too fast around the corner of the house, lost control, and somehow managed to slice through two tires in one go. It, it, it turns out that my dad was a very patient and a very forgiving man. And even with all of the chaos that I caused, he gave me multiple second chances. Now, I'm sure that just like me, there are things in your life that you regret doing that you wish maybe had never happened. But listen, none of us can turn the clock back. So if you've made mistakes, errors of judgment, or just got it so badly wrong, be like Mark. Repent, have another go, get up, and try again. Don't let past mistakes stop you from serving God and becoming the sort of friend that each and everyone needs to be, but also that each and everyone needs to have. Third guy I want to highlight is a guy called Demas. Demas was the only name where there is no comment of praise. Now, of course, there's a story behind this. In Philemon 1 verse 24, Demon was described along with the other men as, as Paul's fellow laborer. Here in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14, he's only Demas. However, in 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, he was the one who had forsaken Paul because he loved the world. And sadly, the story of, of Demas was a description of a man who had slowly fallen away from God. And, and once again, we don't know the details of this, but as we begin to piece his story together, it comes, it comes with a warning to all of us to be careful. See, none of us think that would ever happen to me, but it can if we, if we don't keep short accounts with God we're reminded in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And you must be careful that you, you don't allow anything to take God's rightful place as Lord of your life. One of the things that I enjoy doing is, is running. And it's, it's also something that I have to be be careful about because it can easily can easily become an obsession. I can have training for a marathon take over my life. There's been times in the past where I've certainly allowed that to happen. 
Now, you may be fairly confident that would that, that obsession for running will never happen to you, but, but each, each of you have got your own point of weakness. It may be something that is blatantly sinful, but very often it's something that in and of itself, it, it's not necessarily bad, but, but if you... If you let it take God's rightful place, you can easily become just like Demas. And the fall is often slow, so much so that you may not even notice it at first, but but over time you can become completely surrounded with the things of this world. You can find yourself far away from God, far from his church, far from his work. So what sort of person, what sort of friend are you? There's almost certainly people listening today who are wondering, well, you know, what can I do? I don't know quite where I fit in. I mean, I want to be preaching. I want to be leading something. But I, I, I just don't do very much. Or maybe you're even thinking, I can't do very much. But listen, you can. You can be an encourager. Something that is so underestimated. But as you encourage those around you, you can bring huge blessing to so many people. Secondly, you can serve. There's always little things to be done in the round church. Now, you may not get much praise for it. The truth is most people won't even notice hoovering and cleaning and tidying and making teas and coffees and outreach and prayer. Do you know who cleans the gutters here in church? I'm going to embarrass Chris Banks at the back now. Sorry, Chris. No one's ever asked him to, but when he sees those gutters getting filled, he just fixes it. Or Sarah Dale, she regularly is out here brushing up the leaves and cleaning up the car park with all those apples fall every autumn time. Sarah's there lifting them so they don't get trampled in through on, into the carpets. Now, if I, if I had never mentioned that, I'm pretty sure that most of you would not even have known, but that isn't why they do it. They do it for their Savior. They do it to bless the church. And listen, God knows and God sees. Third, as you can all give. See, as you're generous with your time, generous with your money, you build God's kingdom. You do the little things well. Be a blessing to those around you. You see, God God takes those little acts of generosity and he blesses them in ways that we cannot even begin to understand because nothing is insignificant when you do it unto the Lord. And these three Insignificant men in Colossians should encourage us to serve Jesus and to, to finish well. I particularly want to encourage the two men or two young men who are being baptized today. It, it's such a privilege to know that they have chosen to follow Jesus. And, and God willing, you have many years ahead of you left to serve him. But even as you go through the waters of baptism today, I want to encourage you to make a commitment to God to finish well. Walk faithfully with Jesus and in the power of his spirit all the rest of your life. You see, as Christians, you are a person who has heard and 
understood God's grace in all its truth. Colossians 1 verse 6. You're someone who set your heart and your mind on things above. Colossians 3 verse 1 and 2. And who put on the new self. Colossians 3 verse 10. And God has given you work to do in your church and in your home. And you, you need to be the one who completes it and who continues in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Colossians 1 verse 23. That is God's call over you and over each and every one of us. I don't often do this. I'm going to play just a little song. Robert, if you're okay to hit the button there. Just simply entitled, Thank You.